James chapter 4 and verse 1. When you got it, say so. It says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure and that war, that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will, and, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Lord, we thank you for your word today, Lord God, that illuminates our lives, that changes us, that challenges us to be more like you. Today, Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. We pray that you would not only speak to us, but that we would be attentive and that we would respond in faith under your word, Lord. May you be glorified in the preaching of your word and in the reception and obedience of it as well, Lord. We thank you for this, and we pray this in the good name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand, and the ushers will get you an outline. Um, it's really important. Just hold it up, and they'll get it to you. Really important that you have the outline. You can follow along in the intro of the sermon. You are also able to um, write down notes. There's some questions in there for you. And additionally, you can also help someone else grow in their faith. And so if you are not sure how to make a disciple, one thing that is, that is important is that you bring them into the Word of God. And so by you utilizing what you're learning on Sundays, you can help someone grow in their faith. And so we are continuing in our Testify series here. And one, one, one last um, thing that I want to point out is today, for those of you that are following along on the Bible Reading Challenge, today is day 183 of the Bible Reading Challenge. I haven't gotten a lot of videos out. I will be getting one out there tomorrow um, because we're going to change something up. But today, for today, um, the psalm that we should be reading is Psalm 67 through 69. So Psalm 67 through 69. But moving forward, we are going to actually change up how many chapters in the Bible we're reading. And so Eli came up to me two weeks ago, I believe, and he told me, he said, Bishop, I did the math, and you have to read more than three chapters a day to read the Bible through in a year. And I have to confess to you, I have to confess it to you, I've never read the Bible through in a year reading three chapters. I've, written the, I've, read, I've read the Bible through reading through the New Testament, Old Testament, different ways, but I never did the whole three, you know, three chapters a day. So I would just communicate that. So what I did was I was like, this kid don't know what he's talking about. Like any good adult does, you know, he don't know what he's talking about, you know. So anyway, 
I'm just confessing my sin, my pride to you. I don't want to let you know, right? So I, I, I thought something similar. It wasn't exactly like that. But anyway, I was like, let me go check, you know, because I'll I, be honest. I didn't really think that way because I know Eli's a smart kid. He wouldn't say something if he didn't. And so if he didn't do the math. So I went and I did the math just to assure that he was correct because my math is not that great. So as I went through there, it comes out to actually 3.2 chapters, uh, you know, a day. And so I'm assuming the way that they do it, because I really didn't get into all of that, but maybe they finish a chapter or, you know, they do something. I don't know, I don't know what they do, but I know what we're going to do, okay? So all that said, um, it's, it, or you can do 3.2 chapters or you can, read, um, you can read three chapters and it'll take you about 13 months in order to read it through. So I figure we want to finish the Bible reading challenge this year. So what we're going to do is we are going to up the ante a little bit and we are going to read four chapters a day beginning tomorrow. Just one more chapter. You know, you guys are reading three. I know everybody's reading three chapters a day. Um, so reading four chapters a day, we're going to get through the, we're going to finish, and we'll probably finish a little bit earlier than the year. Um, but nonetheless, we're going to read four chapters moving forward. So that's the goal, and that is our plan. So tomorrow you will be reading chapters 70 through 73. And so everybody has an outline, and we are here in the book of James, and we're continuing in our Testify series. We're almost done with this series. James only has um, chapter 4 and chapter 5, and then we're finished. So there are a few more um few more messages that we're going to go through, which will bring us right up to some of the special services that we have coming up. But if you look at your outline here, as we have looked at some of the areas our faith is tested, today we will see the one that is the most trying of all, and that is relationships. And so understand this, it's a little bit easier for you to discipline yourself to do other things. Like if you decided like you are going to get up early tomorrow and you're going to start having a personal prayer time with the Lord, that's something that is going to be a little bit easier than you being consistent in dealing with people, right? It's just, it's just easier, right? That's a personal thing between you and Jesus. I'm going to read four chapters a day like I know everybody mentally, emotionally committed to. You're going to read four chapters. You're going to read that extra chapter tomorrow and every Every other day moving out to the rest of the year. And so as you're doing that, that's a little bit easier than dealing with people because I don't know about you, but I know this. I'm not the same every day. Hello, somebody. I'm not even the same all day. I'm just keeping it real. There are some moments in my day that you want to come, you want to talk to me, you want to have a conversation. I'm real happy. Everything is great. It's typically after a meal or after a nap, something like that. So it's around one of those areas, and you want to have a conversation with me. If you had to ask me for something, you know, you want to ask me at that moment. And so those are great moments. But then there's other moments that I'm not so pleasant. Hello. There's other moments that I'm not so happy. I'm not so wonderful. I, you, you don't necessarily want to engage with me. It's just, it's just a reality. I know, and I know no one else in this room is like that. Like everybody else in here, you are always amazing, right? And so, you know, ultimately there are moments, right, that we have. And in relationships, that's what happens is we're dealing with people. We're dealing with different personalities. And so that's what makes this so trying and so testing. And so today we're going to talk about the relationship test. Jesus said this. He said we would be known as his disciples by our love for one another, and yet we see here in this passage wars and fights among believers. So the next paragraph here, we must keep in mind under the inspiration of the Spirit. This is not James just decided, you know, I'm just going to throw this in here. No, no, no. This is the Spirit of God inspires James to write this letter to these people, and in the, under that inspiration, he talks about these fights, these wars, these things that are going on in the church. James is doing what? He is writing to the church to address its sin that is glaring. 
I, I don't know if you were if, if you were reading along while I was just reading. I, I want you to realize this was on a Sunday morning or whatever time they gathered together, and they all heard these words: "You adulteresses, you adulterers, you sinners, you double-minded." These are the things that I just said that you were. Hello. This is what the Bible says. This is not me. This is the scriptures. And so Sunday morning church was exciting that day. Hello. It was wonderful. Like everybody was like, yes, we are adulterers. Yes, we're double-minded. Yes, we are sinners. I mean, it wasn't that, wasn't that kind of amen shouting service, right? They, they didn't walk out of there feeling like, yo, we had church today. They were like, man, we got slammed today, right? You may feel that way. It's okay, though. Jesus loves you, right? We're gonna, we're gonna, but, but here's, James is communicating to the church. And here's what I want you to get, second part of that paragraph there, is any church that doesn't acknowledge and address its sin is either blind or rebellious, any church that doesn't address its sin is either blind or rebellious. It's one or the other, and typically one leads to the other. What I mean by that is rebellion will always lead to blindness. When you rebel against God, when you don't acknowledge that there is sin in your midst, in your life, when we're talking about the church, we are the church. And so if we don't acknowledge our sin and address our sin in a biblical way, hear me when I say this, in a biblical way, then we have problems. And so we have to take the book of James at face value and say, okay, God, how do you want to address your church? Last paragraph here, as long as we are part of the church, imperfection will be present. If you're writing notes, I want you to write this down. But it does not have to be prevalent. It is going to be present, but it does not have to be prevalent in the church. And what I mean by that is we don't have to accept imperfection as the standard. Listen. God sets the standard high, and he expects us. Think about this. When Jesus is speaking, when anyone is talking, they call us to what? They call us to living a life that is different. They call us to a higher level of living. They call us to complete surrender. They call us to righteous judgment. That's what James is talking about in these verses that we looked at today, to a higher level of living. God doesn't lower the standard because of your experiences in life. God doesn't lower the standards because of what you've been through. God doesn't lower the standards because of the family you came from. God doesn't lower the standards because of your income level. God doesn't lower the standards because of anything. He sets the standard where it is, and that is to be holy as I am holy. That is the mark that we are supposed to strive for as the children of God. Every day, every moment of our lives, we live to please him, and the way that we do that is by striving toward that goal. And when we fall short, we don't accept that as being the norm. We accept that as being a reality, but we continue striving for the higher standard. We continue striving to live the way that God calls us to live, to be holy as he is holy. And so here's the big idea that I have for you today. How we relate with each other testifies to our faith. How we relate to each other testifies to our faith. Listen, this goes for every and any relationship that we have. The way that we relate with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, that for sure testifies to our faith. The way that we relate to husband and wife, that for sure testifies to our faith. The way that we relate with our children, that testifies to our faith. The way that we relate with our parents, that testifies to our faith. The way that we relate to our employees and employer relationship, that testifies to our faith. Are you getting this? Every relationship we have is a testimony. It is a testification of you and my, or yours and my faith in God. Or it is saying, man, you're immature and you need to grow up. Or it's saying, you ain't got no faith at all. One of the, two, one of the three. It's saying something to you. 
But the way that we interact, the way that we deal with one another, this is what this is what James is addressing here. And so the first thing I'll ask you this afternoon is this: say, we must strive against strife. We must strive against the strife is the first thing I want you to get. Now let's look at verses 1 through 5 here because look, we want to see this. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? And so the first thing he talks about what he's saying, fights, there's fights, there's wars, there are things that are going on. He says, do they not come from your desires, from pleasures that war in your members? The desires for pleasure that war in your members. See, here's the thing that we have to get, that although we are born again, there is still an old nature that is always trying to rise up. Are you here? Even though we came to know Jesus, even though, you know, 20-some-odd years ago, I encountered God in such an amazing way, and he, I mean, he wrecked my life in a good way. Like, you know, the Bible says that, you know, the people of God said the ones that turn the world upside down and come here, they turn the world upside down in a good way. And God walked into my life, and he, I mean, he turned my life upside down. And still in all, you know what, I still have a battle that goes on inside of me. There is still pleasures that are trying to rise, things that I want to do for myself, things that I want to get for myself, things that I desire. And those things are at war inside of me. And here's what we have to understand, that whenever we have war inside of us, there will always be war outside of us. Whenever there's a battle, see, my wife and I, we're doing great as long as neither one of our desires get in the way. Listen to what I'm saying. As long as my wife and I are living for the glory of Jesus, we are never going to have an argument. You know why? Because we're always going to please God. Hello. When my wife and I are living to honor him, then we're going to want to do what? We're going to want to honor one another, and so everything is going to flow the way that God wills it. You know what the problem is? When my desires start to rise up and I decide, you know what, she needs to please me. Or you know what, I want to please myself rather than, you know, when I talk to young men, you know, they get married and they're in, in new in relationships, and some young men, they think that they're still single. They just now have a license to have sex. Yes, I said that. That's what they think. They still think they can live their life. Now they put a ring on it, so they're good to go. It's not true. You have a new relationship. You now have to, you entered into this covenant, and now you have to come, and you have to walk together. It's no longer your, you know, schedule and his schedule or hers. No, no, it's your schedule. Are you here? Amen. <laughs> married couples, y'all need some help? We're we we going to have some marriage counseling sessions. Amen. <laughs> you know, it's no longer your money and her money. It's our money. Join the bank account, glory to God. Right? Work together on the budget, on the plan. Oh, well, he, he got his bills. I got, no, 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 no. It's all y'all's bills. It's your bills. And so we have to get this. This, this. this is the reality that we are. But whenever our desires start to rise up in us, all of a sudden, friction begins to happen. Wars begin to happen because there's a battle that's going on inside of us. He goes on to say this. He says, you lust, in other words, you desire and do not have. Look what he says next. He says, you murder and covet and cannot attain. Hold on a second. He's talking to Christians here. He's talking to the church. And he says, you murder. And you covet, and you cannot obtain. You think James is telling a lie? No. He's telling the truth. They were murdering. What does that mean? Well, here, well, this would, it, I, there, there's a possibility there could be people that were really murdering. That's for sure. But you know what? What we have to realize is that Jesus made it a point in Matthew chapter 5 when he was doing the Sermon on the Mount. Remember he was talking there, and he said something that was important. He said, you know, he was talking about anger. He was talking about murder. You've heard that you shouldn't murder. And all of a sudden he started talking about you calling someone a fool, started talking about you being angry with someone, talking about you hating someone and you being in danger of hell. Hello, somebody. 
because what the people thought in the, under the old covenant is that it was about their external behavior. It wasn't about their hearts. And what Jesus came to say is, no, 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 it's always been about your heart. It's always been about the way that you feel. That's the reason why he says toward the latter part of the book of, of, of the Ten Commandments, he's ta- he talks about coveting. He talks about those types of things in the heart, those heart issues, right? He starts dealing with that stuff because those things need to be addressed. And so James, the same way, he's addressing things. So you murder and you covet, you cannot, cannot obtain. And look what he goes on to say. He says you fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. So hold on a second. What does Jesus tell us all the time? He says, whatever you ask, you shall receive. Does he not say that? And so what is he telling us? Is he telling you to ask for whatever you want? Or is he saying to ask for whatever is in my will and you receive that? Is that not what he says? The problem is when your will starts to not be aligned with God's will, you can no longer um, go to God and ask him for stuff. Why? Because you and I cannot manipulate God. You can pray all day long. You can ask God to give you your will all day long, and it never means you're ever, you're ever going to get it until your will aligns with his will. It's just reality. And so James points out, these people stop praying. They start coveting. They start murdering. They start hating. They're doing all that. There's this war that is going on, and they're not even asking. Then he goes on to say something else. He says, you ask and do not receive. So now you have one person that is not even asking, so they're not receiving. But then the next person he's saying is, you ask and do not receive. And why is that? Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on, on your pleasures. And so he's saying, wait a second, he's saying, you are are not asking one person, and then another person, you're asking, and you're not receiving because you're asking with the wrong motives. You know you can ask for the right thing with the wrong motives, don't you? You can ask for the right thing and it not be the right way. You can ask for stuff that you could receive, but if you're asking with the wrong motives, guess what? You're not going to get it. You're, so you spend it on your pleasure so that way you can just fill your own heart with the way that you, the way that you feel or whatever it is that you want that's going to appease your appetite. And look at verse 4. He says this. He says, adulterers and adulteresses. Hmm. He gets up and he calls, I mean, he, he, I mean, he just clearly, blatantly calls them adulterers and adulteresses. All of this behavior is because of what? Because there's a war inside of us, right? There's our flesh. But then he goes on to say this. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So what does he point out? He's pointing out here, he's not talking about not having friends that are in the world. We cannot impact the world if we don't have friends that are in the world. Are you here? I'm just saying. Like you're never going to bring someone to Jesus unless they don't know him. And guess what? You're never going to get to bring that person if you don't get to know them. So that's just a reality. That's not what James is saying. What James is talking about is there's a war that's inside of us. And you know what is amplifying that war is the cares of this world. The values of this world. That's what's amplifying this. And then he calls them these words that seem so disturbing to call the church. He says adulterers and adulteresses. Why does he say that? Well, when you read your Bible, you'll notice that the scriptures show us that there's a correlation between adultery and idolatry. There's a correlation throughout the scriptures because of what? Because what adultery is, adultery is when you are married to someone, you are in a covenant relationship with them, and you go outside of your marriage to have, you know, to have relationship with someone in a way that doesn't bring honor and glory to God, right? So that's what you do, and you, you commit adultery. Now, this is what happens. You and I 
are in a covenant relationship with God. We have been betrothed to who? To Jesus. He's the one that died for us. And so in that covenant, we should worship him. We should defer to him. We should seek his will. We should seek his desires. We should value what he values. We should pursue what he tells us to pursue, should we not? And when we decide that we are going to pursue things outside of him, guess what? We become idolaters, hence adulterers. In a spiritual sense, we are committing adultery. We are pursuing things. And so if we are going to have peace within our relationships, we have to be unified in our pursuits. We have to be one in our pursuits. You know, when you think about this whole war thing, last night we went to see um, Wonder Woman. And so, you know, Wonder Woman, uh, you know, great, great movie. Um, <laughs> all the ladies are like, eh, but anyway, um, so they, 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 they got excited, you know. They, they, and <laughs> Every, every, every woman walks out of Wonder Woman wanting to do that. I'm just saying, like, I, if I was a woman, I, I'm a guy and I almost wanted to do it. But I just, I could, but, you know, the, 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 truth, the, the truth is, right, I mean, you know, ultimately, the, the movie is about what, though? The movie is about war. That's what it's about. It's a movie that is about this war that is going on. It's a movie that is about this battle that is going on. And can I tell you something? This battle that's going on, is th- there's a two, two sides to this battle. When people are at war, there's two ways that we see this. There is the, 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 the clashing, the, the coming together, the banging up on each other. That's that kind of war, right, that side. But then there's the other side. There's the tug of war. There's the pulling in two different directions where someone is pulling in this direction, someone is pulling in that direction. Can I tell you something? That's the kind of war that James is talking about specifically here. People that are torn in this direction by their desires, their passions, pulling them this way, and then someone else being pulled in this direction. And everybody needs to be pulled in one direction, and that is in the direction of God's will, God's word, and God's purposes. Because you know what, y'all? If we are all in God's word, and God's word is, in, is affecting our will, then guess what we all start doing? We all start pulling in the same direction. That's how you make progress. When you have one vision and that vision comes from one place, that vision comes from one God, those desires come from him. No longer am I desiring my will, I want his will. And then all of a sudden we start pulling in the same direction. We must recognize, as he says in verse 5, he says, Or do you not think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? And so what is the Spirit of God doing? The Spirit of God is within us yearning jealously. He is calling us into relationship, calling us into obedience. And we have to realize something, that God does not accept anything less than 100% commitment and devotion to him. Are you here? Let me ask you a question. For those of you that are married, and this will go for single people as well. For those of you that are married in this place, right? So for those of you that are married, would you be cool with your husband or your wife being married to you but hanging out with people of, you know, the opposite sex and getting all their emotional comforts and all that stuff from that other person. How many of y'all be down with that? It's called an open marriage. Anybody down with open marriage? Right, that's very unbiblical, right? Single person, let me ask you a question. You, you know, those of you that are praying, you're like, God, I want your will for my life, and if you have someone for me, amen, glory to God. So if someone came to you and they were like, hey, you know what, I really think you're cute, I love hanging out with you, but, you know, I don't really want to, like, settle down completely. How many of y'all would be like, yes, that's the guy? Please say no. Please say no. That's the wrong one. But he's cute, Bishop. I don't care. He's the wrong one. Listen, the point is, if we wouldn't accept half-hearted devotion, why do we think God should accept half-hearted devotion? Why do we think that? Are, are you better than God? 
because you want someone to be committed to you 100%, do you not? And so our God is the same way. He requires that we do that because he gave 100% for for us, did he not? That's what he did for us. Second thing I'd ask you to repeat after me is this. We must yield to the grace of God. I'm going to try to get to my third point. I didn't get to my third point in the first service. But here's the thing. We must yield to the grace of God. Look at verses 6 through 10. I love this because after James, like, you know, completely, like, blasts them with these words, he comes, and you see this so beautiful, but he gives more grace. It's like a beautiful pause in the midst of it all. It's this beautiful thing. Like in, in, in the midst of everything, we remember the gospel, that we were born into sin, right? That we were separated from God, that we decided as we grew up that we were going to rebel against him in different ways. Some of us went way out there. Others of us, we just stood like on the shoreline of rebellion. Nonetheless, we all rebelled. We all deserved what? Eternal condemnation. Every one of us deserves to be separated from God from eternity because of our rebellion against him. The beauty of it is, is that God... God gives us the remedy because we can never do anything to satisfy him or appease him. And so he gives us this remedy, and it is his son who comes and dies for us, brings us into this relationship with him. Now he gives us a new nature. He gives us a new heart. We're in a new relationship with him. We look forward to heaven. We experience him in worship. We feel the peace that we have between us and God. We have a new identity. No longer does he look at us the way that that he did before. We have a new identity before him. Beautiful stuff. And what he does is he says, but God gives more grace. Because even though you're acting like you live over here, even though you're acting like, you know, you're still valuing the things the world values, you're still counting the things the world counts, you're still living like, you know, you're at, you, you keep going back and forth between, the, you're vacillating, but God gives more grace. He goes on to say this. He says, therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. He rejects the proud. He's going to judge the proud. That is for sure. Understand this. God's love extends toward everyone who will humble themselves before him. But those who will not will experience a fierce judgment. Are you here? This is a reality. A fierce judgment that nobody wants to experience. He offers and extends grace to all those who will humble themselves. He goes on to say this, and this is how we humble ourselves. Look at these things here. He says, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So he's got these few things here, like how do we know that we are going to submit to God? How do we know how we're going to submit to God? The first thing is this, we have to submit to him. So this point is going to be a little bit longer, and then I want to look at all these other things that we see in here. The first one is submit to God is the word, hupotasso. I've I've read this definition many times before. Take notes on this part, because this is how we humble ourselves before the Lord. The word is hupotasso. It means to arrange under, to subordinate. You're not going to be able to write all of this down. Just get the picture, get the idea. To arrange under God, to subordinate to God. God, to subject to God, to be in subjection to God, to subject oneself to God, to obey God, to submit to one's control. So to submit my control unto God's control, to yield to one's admonition or advice. So I listen to what God communicates through his word, through godly counsel, to obey and to subject myself unto God. That's what this means here, right? To subject myself. When it says to submit to God, this is what it's meaning. But I love this word because it gives us the Greek military term, and then it gives us a non-military use of this word. So two uses here that we find here. The Greek military term, it means to arrange a troop or division in a military fashion under the command of a leader. 
And so when it says to submit to God, what he is saying is you arrange yourself under the leadership of God. That's what it means to submit to him. In a military sense, we have been brought into the kingdom of God. We are part of the army of God. And so we have to make a choice to align ourselves with God, do we not? We have to do that. But then I love the second one. It's the non-military use. And this one deals with the heart of, of a matter. It says it, it means a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. A voluntary attitude. This is what it means here for us. God doesn't want to just be like this big military leader that's leading us, you know, for his own victories. He wants us to voluntarily give in. He wants us to voluntarily submit to him. But he goes on to say not just that. The next thing is what? So, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil. This is another military term. What does it mean? It means to stand our ground against the enemy, saying yes to God. Submission is where the power is for you to say no to Satan. Understand this. We cannot in and of ourselves consistently say no to the enemy. Any more than you can consistently say no to your favorite sweet thing when you're starving. Are you hearing me? Listen, it's just a reality, right? Anybody who's ever tried to do a diet knows this. You're good until you get hungry. Come on now. You're good. You're, you're, you're good to go. I mean, you are committed. You are on fire. You were meal planning. You were prepping in your mind. You were, listen, you, you went, look at it. You looked at the menu to the restaurant before you went, glory to God. And between the time you looked at that menu and the time you got there, your stomach started growling. And all of a sudden, you forgot calories, macros, micros. You were like, glory to God, give me a steak, give me a potato. I don't even care how many, I'm going to run this off. And you ain't even going to run. But here's the thing. It is because you are hungry that you go and you give in to that thing. Here's the problem with us as Christians. We try to say no to the devil without saying yes to God. Are you here? When you fill yourself, that's the reason why the Bible tells in the book of Ephesians, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Because what? Because when I'm filled with the Spirit, I don't desire these other things to control or manipulate my way of thinking or my way of feeling. Are you getting this? And so when I submit myself to God, I am essentially and automatically saying no to the enemy. So I don't have to worry about saying no as much as I have to worry about saying yes. That's what submission is. And if people would grasp this, listen, the victory is yours already, but it comes at us submitting ourselves to the Lord. He goes on to tell us what? He says to draw, he says the next thing, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is what he's, so the next thing is what? So the first one is submit to God. The second thing is resist the devil. The third thing is to draw near to God. What does that mean? That means to approach him in worship. That means to approach him in praise. I'm driving them crazy in the back. They're like, Bishop, you just ran out of time. And they're looking. Okay, we've got to give him five more minutes. Just give me five more minutes, glory to God. All right, they said turn the clock off. We're just going to go all day. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but draw near to God, right? Draw near to him. So how do, I, how do I humble myself? It's when I draw near to him in worship. It's when I draw near to him in assurance of what he's done. I draw near because he says what? If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. So what is this? This is an open invitation from God. He's like, draw near to me. But he goes on, he has another one here. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
So the first thing he says, he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. So for us and our connect, we're going through this, this, um, this teaching on the tabernacle and worship and how the tabernacle, the old covenant tabernacle, ties into our present day worship. And because we go through that, we realize here that when James says, cleanse your hands, it is talking about a ceremonial cleansing. But then he goes on to say what? He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. You sinners. He says, you sinners. And this is a word that is in the Bible speaking to the church. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. So what does that mean for us? What that means for us is that whenever the Bible is dealing with the topic of sinning, when, it, when it's calling someone a sinner and it's a person who is a Christian, it is not talking about the sinner who was an enemy of God before they came to Jesus. No, no, no. It is talking about someone who is acting like they used to act. It is talking about external actions. That's the reason why whenever I, I say this, don't get offended that we are all sinners. We are all sinners. Do you not act like a sinner sometimes? Hello. I'm just saying just be honest. I mean, just be real. When you are acting like a, you know, this, then hey, that's what you look like right now. That doesn't mean that's who you are because guess what? Your actions, unless you are living in that rebellion, do not change your identity. You are a child of God who is acting a fool. That's what I'm saying. And so he says this, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Stop acting that way. Purify your, mind, your, your hearts, you double-minded. Deal with the way that you think. Address the way that you're thinking. This is how you humble yourself. You come before God's word and you recognize your wayward thoughts. You recognize your thoughts that go from my desires to God's desires. My thoughts that go from the world's values to God's values. Look at those thoughts that are there that you vacillate between. Recognize that. Cleanse your heart of those things. By committing yourself to be in the word of God. And then he goes on to say what? He says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now that sounds terrible. He's telling you, listen. I want you to have joy, but I want you to have joy for the right things. I want you to laugh, but I want you to laugh for the right things. I want you to know that joy, but don't do it at the expense of my will. Hello. Don't do it at the expense of my ways. No, no, no. You can rejoice, but rejoice in the right things. Don't rejoice over sin. Don't rejoice because you got one up on someone. Don't rejoice because you got over on someone. Don't rejoice in that stuff. Repent of those things. Don't rejoice because, listen to me, don't rejoice because somebody got what they deserved. Are you here? Listen, don't be laughing when someone falls, man. You need to be crying when someone falls. You need to be like David. Read David when he talked about Saul. He could have killed Saul. He could have done so. And he mourned the death of Saul. He killed someone because they came and gave him the news about Saul. Hello. I mean, this guy was serious about not, not wanting to see his enemies fall. We shouldn't want to see that stuff. We should want them to repent. I mean, that's the whole point. We'll get to that third point here. I'm going to get there. Listen, the third thing there, he says, that, or the last thing he says there in, in that verse, he says in verse 10, he says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Here's what I want to say about that, is that we must ensure that we are not trying to do God's part in our life. In other words, that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to lift themselves up when God was saying, humble yourself. God is saying, listen, I do the lifting, you do the humbling. You humble yourself. Listen, you do not want to be, I put this challenge out there to the church earlier in, in first service. I want, you know, the Bible never tells us that God is going to humble us in the way that we want to think about it. Like I'm waiting for God to grab my heart and slam me on the floor. No. God says what? He says, I will humble the proud. That is for sure. And what is he dealing with? He's dealing with judgment. That's what he's talking about. 
He's not talking about this here. He's not talking about where he calls us to humble ourselves. To humble ourselves before him so he can do what? So he can give us grace. That's what he wants to do, is it not? He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we need to make sure that third point here, he says, say this with me. Say, we must, com- must be committed to righteous judgment. We must be committed to righteous judgment. Look what he says in verses 11 through 12. He says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? And so what I want you to understand is that when our desires are carnal and our pursuits are worldly, our judgments will be unrighteous. Did you hear that? When our desires are carnal and our pursuits are worldly, our judgments will be unrighteous, meaning this, they will not be grounded in the truth, they will not be executed in love, but most importantly, we become judges against the judge. Did you get that? Are you here? So first of all, we are, we, we, we are not, we, we are not, I'll say that one more time for those of you who are writing notes, Th- that means that we will not be grounded in the truth, we will not, ex- not be executed in love, and more importantly, we become judges against the judge. See, what happened with these people is because they're, they were carnal in their pursuits, they were carnal in their way of thinking, because they were worldly in their values, their judgments were off. And so people twist the scripture. Y'all know that the famous scripture of our day is judge not so ye not be judged. And so we automatically think, well, we shouldn't be judging anyone. And it would seem that James agrees with our culture. He does not. That is not what James is communicating. James is, James is rebuking the idea of people making false judgments, of people speaking evil. Look what he says. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. Because what does he say? He tells us that we should not. This is the ninth commandment, that we should not bear false witness. We are told throughout Scripture that we're not to slander others. We are told throughout Scripture that we are supposed to speak words that are uplifting, right? It does not mean not to speak the truth. I mean, come on now, I just spoke the truth for however long I've been talking, and it hasn't been so soft and pretty. Hello. But I promise you, I love you. And if I didn't, I wouldn't be communicating this. I would just be like, hey, man, are y'all going to be blessed? Just have a blessed day. Glory to God. Don't give me five more minutes. As a matter of fact, I'm giving you five minutes back, so I'll take it ten more. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. But here's the thing. Here is the thing. The thing is, James is communicating, listen, you guys are judging the wrong way. You're judging according, you're communicating things to destroy people because you want the advantage. You're communicating things because you want people to look at you as though you are great. And so since you cannot exalt yourself sufficiently, you crush other people. This is what James is rebuking. He's saying, don't be that way. He's like, when you speak against that, when you do that, you're speaking against the law. And so you are making yourself a judge instead of someone who is supposed to be doing what? Living what the law communicates. As believers, we are called to be discerning. We are called to check fruit. We are called to test spirits, all of which are types of judgment. However, listen to me now, we are not called to be final judges or law givers. Are you here? Listen, you better check the fruit, you better test the spirits, you better know if someone is walking in the truth or if someone is walking in deception or else you will walk in the wrong path with them. That is for sure. But I'm not called to be a final judge. 
Or I will tell you, look, man, you don't look like you're on the right path for sure. I will let you know if you're living in sin for sure because I love you. We're called to do that as a church. But that doesn't mean that I'm supposed to slam people and destroy people. That's not what God calls us to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. We must ensure that our judgments are grounded in the truth and executed in love. Whenever we are executing judgment, what I mean is whenever we're communicating about someone being in sin, whenever we're communicating about someone who is not living the way that God calls them to, or we're talking to someone, hopefully we'll have that conversation first, it is imperative that we come to them with the truth in love. In love. Because if not, our words are going to fall on deaf ears. We must ensure that we are doing that. Our desire, listen to me now, should never be destruction of a person or defamation of someone's character, but their repentance and restoration and then the protection of others. What do I mean by that? Listen, whenever I come to someone and I communicate something to them, I need to come to them with a heart that I don't want to crush them just to crush them. I want to communicate the truth with the hope and the prayer that they would repent of their sin and that they would be restored to fellowship, that they would be restored in their relationship with God and that they'll walk with him. And if that person is unrepentant, then I need to be concerned about the welfare of other people. Because here's the thing, and I close, with, I close this thought with this. I heard one pastor say something that I thought was really good. And he was talking about wolves in the church. And he said, listen, you cannot shepherd wolves, you kill them. And as I, as I thought about that, that, that sentiment, I came, I came to this conclusion. Sheep, you shepherd. Goats, you convert. Wolves, you kill. The problem is this. Everybody looks kind of the same. Wolves look like sheep. That's why they're called wolves in sheep's clothing. They look just like it. They got feelings, and they get real in their feelings whenever you correct them. And they, try, and they try to make things look bad. But here's what has to happen. As the people of God, we need to be discerning enough to know, hey, man, this is a sheep that is gone astray. This is a sheep that's lost his way. This is a sheep that I need to bring back, that, that I need to love into the kingdom. That I need to correct them, but I need to work with them. And, and we need to recognize, yo, that's a goat. That person is not a Christian. That person is not a believer. They may know all the stuff that they need to know, but they are not a believer because if we treat them like a sheep, they are deceived. Understand, Jesus is going to separate sheep and goat. That's just a reality. But then when there is someone who is a wolf in the midst of the people, if they, and you know this because they are unrepentant of their sin. That's how you know. They're unrepentant of their sin. They, they justify all of their behavior, and they even use Scripture to twist stuff. And so when you find those relationships, then those are people that you have to rebuke publicly, and those are people that you need to remove, and that way they don't hurt the rest of the sheep. So here's my question for you as we close. How are your relationships? That was only like 11 minutes, wasn't it? Maybe, something like that. I don't know. How are your relationships? This is a relationship test. How are your relationships? Do you need to fix some stuff in some relationship? Do you need to work out some things? Do you need to have some conversations? Listen, but he gives more grace. And that way you can have these relationships, even with difficult people, hello, even with people that change, you know, during the day, they get hangry and they get crazy and they come back down to earth. But even with those kind of people, God gives us the grace in order to deal with them. Let's pray together. Come on, let's stand up. Grab somebody's hand beside you. And I'm going to ask you to do something if you're in this place and you know that you know that you know that you have some relationship issues. You know, you, 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 you're struggling in some kind of relationship and you need someone to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to squeeze that person's hand beside you.
And if someone squeezed your hand right now because they're acknowledging, and I don't want you to be embarrassed, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of hands being squeezed because there's a lot of dis- difficult people on this planet, none in this room. But if you're struggling with relationship right now, we want to pray for you. And if someone squeezed your hand, I want you to I want you to just act like a pastor right now. Don't get crazy. All right. What I mean by that is pray for them. Okay, that's what I mean by that. You know, don't just just pray for them. That's what I mean. Just be just be a vessel. Pray for them. Right. Be that vessel to minister unto them right now. We're all priests and kings and all that kind of stuff. Let's pray together. Father God, right now. We come to you as your sons and as your daughters. And, Lord God, you saw every hand that was squeezed in this place. More so, you see every heart that you squeezed this morning, Lord God, with the revelation of how badly we need you, the revelation of how badly we need the power of your Holy Spirit to deal with our hearts. Father God, you see broken relationships that need to be mended, Lord God. You see relationships that may never be the same again, but Lord God, there's healing that has to take place, Lord God. And so we pray today that you would work out your will within our relationships as you see fit. God, guide our steps, guide our hearts, guide our words. Lord God, direct us into all truth. Lord, we rebuke the plans of the enemy. Lord God, we come against bitterness in hearts. We pray that those things be uprooted right now in the name of Jesus. We pray for deep healing of deep wounds, Lord. We ask you to stretch your healing hand forward upon our lives that we may be able to pass this relationship test, that we would be able, Lord God, to demonstrate our growth and our maturity in you, Lord God, in the area of relationships. Father, we want to bring you glory. We want to bring you honor. And so we pray that you would heal our hearts, strengthen our hearts, give us the grace to love as you call us to love. Give us the ability to forgive and give us the ability to extend grace where it's necessary. We thank you for this, Lord God. And I just want to pray, Lord Jesus, for anybody in here who may feel like they can't be forgiven. I lift them to you right now. For those that have hurt 